Hi, welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives. Today we're talking about how to assess the health of streams and rivers. So stay tuned. Alrighty, Riley, what is up? Hey, Matt. Um, I have one water update and then one just fun aside that I got to tell you about. Okay. Should I do the fun aside first? Yes. Okay. Because we have a large listenership, maybe I shouldn't talk about this, but <laughs> I'm going to. Uh, my wife made carbonara. Oh, good for her. Yeah, dude. Um, didn't turn out though. Oh, <laughs> you're going to love this. So <laughs> and for everybody that doesn't know, uh, Matt probably knows this more than me, but you have pasta mm -hmm. and you have like a egg cheesy um, solution, for lack of a better word, yeah. that you pour Mixture. over the pasta, you mix mm -hmm. it up, you eat it. Mm -hmm. if it's the... a nice, it's a nice creamy sauce without actually having cream in there. It's nice. Now, what happens, Matt, if the pan is too hot? Oh, you just kind of make scrambled eggs. <laughs> she made scrambled egg pasta oh, no. with bacon. So we had breakfast pasta uh, last night. That's disgusting. Uh, she had friends over. I felt bad. Uh, my heart is broken. So, so little tip. Little tip. So, yes. So you have the, your little egg and cheese mixture. Okay, yeah. then you boil your pasta, take your pasta out of the water, put the pasta back in like the hot pot that you've boiled it in, but take yeah. it off the heat. Just set it on the counter. Right there. Take it off the heat. Then add your mixture because the heat from the pasta will still be plenty enough to get everything going. And then save a little bit of water yeah. from the pasta, and then that'll help kind of keep everything from getting too dry. So I remade it because she told her friends about it. And I was like, guys, we got we gotta like have you try it. So we made it again, and it worked. Okay, nice I was job. Like, I'm not trying to one up you, honey, but I, like your friends need to actually. We're not. <laughs> nice job. Eggs and bacon. <laughs> nice we're job. Not having breakfast pasta, everyone. Nice it's an actual thing. Yeah. But, um, um, also, um, the recipe I got it from. It's just binging with Babish on YouTube with his carbonara, and he has like a whole website. So I can't okay. take credit for that. It's not like a family recipe. It's just. And he even does it a little different than like a true, true, true Italian mm -hmm. where you're not supposed to add garlic. I add garlic to my carbonara. Then, you know, sue me. I don't care. I do yeah. pancetta. Who cares? You know, it's fine. <laughs> Go ahead. Throw tomatoes at me. It's fine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but definitely wasn't good as the one we had in Rome, but what are you going to do? <laughs> oh, you don't say. So, um, <laughs> so that's the one. The second update was, um, I, I'm narrowing down, Matt, on our, our nonprofit idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dude, um, so this last week, it was 4th of July. Okay, mm -hmm. everyone. And we went canoeing down a little portion. Mm -hmm. And not too many rivers like this have this in Minnesota, but there's a lot of tourism where we are. And there's a couple tuber companies, right? That, mm -hmm. that the, the river was actually packed with people tubing down. Mm -hmm. Pretty surprising because the river was like a foot deep. 
And oh. I was like, "Yowza, guys! Yikes!" Yeah. It's like, did they not tell you about this? Because I was like, any, I think like a half a foot more, and we wouldn't have been able to go, like, because we would have had to oh. walk it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like oh, portions. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So not that it, that's the worst thing in the world. It's just annoying, but um, yeah, inconvenient. I was like. It just reminded me of like Kusa River Keepers where they do like mm. the E. coli and like the mm-hmm. river watch. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, people need to know. And then people need to know that there's portions of where we are, that there's impairments for E. coli. And you just had a good uh, people just swim, swamming, you know, just nose deep in the water. <laughs> I was like, oh God. Yeah. Like, but I was like, God, there's more of those, like those localized type of groups are so important. Cause yeah, people, yeah i mean it's great because it's nice to have those advocacy groups because you know since they're not affiliated with any government organization they can work a little bit faster because they don't have to work through the red tape and they can also you know as the name entails they can be kind of advocates for kind of extension of kind of the the community as far as kind of what issues they think are going on and i mean the coosa river keepers here in alabama have done a good job in starting a lot of litigation towards water quality in the state. So they're not afraid to kind of roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, so I was like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. Yeah. yeah I think we, I mean, we need like a local national group. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. I mean, day. I don't, I'm sure we brought, maybe we brought this up on the podcast, but maybe not, but that was kind of one of when Riley called me about, trying to do the podcast the original idea was trying to start a nonprofit, and i think it's still our end goal we want to get I think there it'll be fun yeah i mean i think we can do a lot of good um but i don't know if anyone out there knows how to actually start one feel free to reach out or if you just we have gotta, a lot of money burning a hole in your pocket for some startup funds you know just, we gotta just think reach about out this uh, okay anyways so that was my um <laughs> big thing is that um okay just recreation and water it's fun but yeah. everybody, everybody, look out. Just know, know your water body. Don't be afraid, but also, yeah. don't be dumb. That's I think, pretty topical. So I think we're gonna be the, talking about a little bit of that today. The um, the, oh yeah, you are. This is pretty topical. Mm-hmm. So I think too, where we are, you know, everybody was out, and I was like, you know, it hadn't, it hasn't rained in a while. The water's so low. So just mm-hmm. trying to be like. A, not a creative thinker, a logical thinking. I was like, so runoff probably didn't occur in the last couple of weeks. So if the runoff is bringing E. coli, it's probably low in the water. So I was like, this is probably, you know, a good time for people to be out, even though it's water super low. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It sounds like some sound. Allegedly. Thinking. Okay, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Theoretically, right? Be like, this is a educational podcast only. We're not here. Consult your... Yeah, there uh, you go. Local <laughs> consult your state government. Uh, yeah. Questions. We got to have like you. a disclaimer, like in the radio ads, where they talk super quickly. We got to have one of those guys at the end of each podcast. Yeah. It off. <laughs> yeah. So. But, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, How you as doing? far as, I mean, what we got going on. So yesterday I went and got my suit fitted uh, for the oh wedding. Oh my God. Coming up here in a couple months way ahead of the ball but that's just that's just what i am i was like you know what i got a free weekend let me just go and get this thing figured out yeah so got the suit um got the tie got myself a new pair of shoes um, i got the whole i got the whole fit i'm excited 
And then besides huh. that, Rachel is away right now. She had to drive all the way to Birmingham to do her practice hair and makeup. So she's she's there right now. Practice oh for the for the wedding. Yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. So she's over there with her hair and makeup artist right now. And that's artist, pretty much it. it. Hamilton, our rabbit, for some reason. So at the old apartment, he didn't really care about getting under the couch. But for some reason, we moved to the new apartment, and he's been obsessed with trying to tear up the couch underneath mm -hmm. it. So I've had to buy a lot of wood from Home Depot, and I'm like screwing in boards underneath the couch to keep him out. So that's that's what I'll, that's what I'm finishing up right when I'm done here recording because I just have coolers sitting in front of my couch right now. Huh. Um, side note, Matt, have you gone to Birmingham yet? Then. You gotta go with your wife one time. Is I she gonna haven't. go anytime soon? I don't. We're so we're so much for we're. I now you're, now you're way it's, further. Well, actually, it's about the same from Auburn. We're about two hours and fifteen minutes away, so we're about the same distance. Now? Yeah, we're a little more up. We kind of went northeast of Auburn, so we're not that much further away, if if at all. So, and one of the tech, one of the students in our lab, she's like was pretty much born and raised in Birmingham. So I'm, it'd be fun to have a little tour guide there and show us around. Yeah, it's but. not to poo-poo on it, but it's 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 fun to visit a couple times. But I mean, it's not like mm -hmm. something you need to go back to I a mean, thousand times. I think that's most cities. Yeah, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's like my groomsmen and a lot of Rachel's friends want to come down. They were talking about coming down to Auburn for like a whole week, and I'm like, I don't know if we have that much to do here. Really? A whole week. Yeah. Take them to, dude, take them to Mobile. Oh, that's a good Mobile's, idea. Mobile's a fun little spot. Yeah, Mobile is nice. That's a good idea. Have you, have you been to Mobile? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. to Mobile. Yeah, it's just far, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But no, that's, yeah, that's a good idea. Do you could just do the whole, like, a coastline adventure with them? Go to, um, you could go to Louisiana, go to New Orleans. Oh, that's too far. That's too Biloxi. far. <laughs> nah, that's too. I'm not trying to do a whole road trip here, man. Do a little road trip, dude. That'd be fun. <laughs> no, because my look the week of my mo week of my wedding, we'd break down in the middle of like nowhere, Mississippi. We got to like push the car. <laughs> oh man, my luck. But yeah. yeah, that's all we got going on here. Nothing crazy. So yeah, let's go ahead and and dive right into stream, mostly stream assessments. We're talking about some of this is applicable to rivers so rivers and streams as we are all aware they're they're kind of like the arteries that carry life-giving water throughout the world's continents how do you like that some poetry there wow. so roughly 66 percent of the world's population has a river as their closest water feature these inland waterways serve as aquatic roadways fishing hubs recreational epicenters and much more that being said, people have had a troubled history with respect to river and stream health, and today we're going to cover how to assess stream health in addition to the ecosystem services that they provide. So, and you may be much more of an expert on this than me, Riley, given your... No? Okay, cool. That's great. We're both... Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I'm sure there's... I did as much research as I could, but I know for a fact I'm leaving stuff out, so... <laughs> I'm being as thorough as I can while also trying to keep the listener's attention. So feel free to jump in at any point if you have anything to add. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm lumping rivers and streams here together, mainly because of someone who study lakes, they're pretty similar to me, but more so because they're connected in their function, and their services. 
from an ecological standpoint, they both carry nutrients and sediment downstream, which can heavily dictate the productivity of lakes, wetlands, and marine bays that rivers and streams flow into. Depending on the hydrology of the region, rivers and streams can also be integral for flood control as they carry the falling rainwater downstream, being particularly efficient in areas with high river density. Furthermore, they act as native habitat for countless migratory and resident species, of course. From a human perspective, rivers and streams are incredibly valuable features. According to the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, as it is more oftenly referred to, uh, community benefits from rivers and streams include irrigation for food crops, sustainable fishing hubs, drinking water, with 60% of U.S. drinking water coming from rivers, electricity generated from hydropower dams, transportation for commerce vehicle uh, vessels we talked about. It was a couple months ago. Riley, when the Mississippi River was so low that barges were bottoming out, and that had huge implications for, for commerce here, both importing Crazy. and exporting within the U.S. And not to mention recreation and tourism, and lastly, flood protection, as I just mentioned previously. And it's honestly pretty much impossible to put an exact number on the economic value of global rivers, but for reference... The Nature Conservancy estimates that just the Colorado River alone supports a $1.4 trillion economy and upwards of 16 million jobs throughout its watershed. And that's just that's just the Colorado. So you can think of yeah, you know, how the how you can scale that up. That's roughly equivalent to eight percent of the entire American domestic profit and as much as eighty-seven percent of the state of Nevada's. So again, imagine how high that number would be for, say, the Mississippi, the St. Lawrence, the Nile, the Amazon, or the Mekong, and some of these much bigger global systems. And this reliance on river systems may be taken for granted, but we'll be covering how quickly things can go south and how experts can determine when a system is being impaired. Now, I'm sure there are other methods for determining the health of a river stream, but I'm mainly, see, mainly focusing on a review of the U.S. EPA and U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Section 404 Program Protocols. It was this huge, long document. I also got from inf some information from individual states uh, like Pennsylvania that had some pretty comprehensive stream assessment guidelines. So because the overall health of a river or stream depends on a myriad of factors, such as hydrologic patterns, biological life, chemical parameters, and more, I'll do my best to cover the key points. So to kind of start here, we can broadly group classification and assessment strategies into visual-based qualitative methods or measurement-based um, be more quantitative methods, right? So let's just kind of go ahead and start with the visual-based methods, since these observations don't require the assessor to take any actual measurements. There can be wide variation in the classification of a particular stretch of river or stream. For example, this uh, review cites Roper and Skarnecchia from 1995, who evaluated the ability of trained observers to independently classify different habitat units within stream stretches in Oregon. Their results showed that between two equally experienced group of assessors, the group that received routine training were far better at classifying the stream stretches based solely on qualitative methods. These differences were even more pronounced when these streams complexity uh, increased. And this may sound obvious, but it's really important when you think about how these classifications are used to guide the spending of taxpayer dollars for remediation efforts. 
However, I should point out, though, that in a similar study by Wang et al. in 1995, uh, they also evaluated the accuracy and precision of observers with no field experience but recent training, observers with one to two field seasons, and observers with four-plus field seasons of experience, and only found differences when habitats, again, became more complex. So there's definitely benefits to using these approaches. And on top of all that, most observation-based assessment protocols often ask for redundant measurements, or in other words, they ask the observer to examine different things that are all highly correlated to each other, which can help drastically increase the accuracy of qualitative assessments. And although it may just seem like simple observation-based approaches are outdated and biased by whoever's doing the measuring, there's definitely merit to these techniques. Qualitative assessments are usually faster and much cheaper than qualitative or analytical testing. So qualitative assessments are best employed in well-defined habitats with well-trained or experienced personnel. It's also good to point out that plenty of state and federal agencies conduct qualitative assessments for all the above reasons I just mentioned. Uh, my college roommate got field experience with New Jersey Fish and Wildlife doing habitat classifications for native quail introduction uh, reintroduction program. Again, uh, he, I remember he was talking about that a little bit. That was a little difficult because you were in the New Jersey Pine Barrens and that was much more of a complex system. They got pretty extensive training though, and they weren't necessarily, they weren't asking the observers to classify the uh, habitat. They more or less gave them a transect and just asked them to kind of count the number of trees um, what was the substrate? Was it sandy or, you know, whatnot? And then the, the lead biologist was doing all the interpretation from there. So it, I think it's really useful again, um, if you, if you implement it correctly and not to mention as, as someone who does a lot of field work between Riley and I, uh, you can learn as much, uh, just about as much about a system by actually looking at it as you can by taking a bunch of measurements and, and crunching the numbers in Excel. Um, so is there anything else you needed to add about qualitative methodologies, Riley? Oh, gosh. Um, a couple of things. So the first mm -hmm. one, the 404 mm -hmm. methodology. Mm -hmm. So just so everyone's aware, like I'm trying to remember specifically what 404 is. Dredge and fill, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, I'm putting Matt on the spot. Oh, you're good. I knew for a fact someone like you was going to ask this question. Um, so the actual name of the full document is Physical Stream Assessment, colon, a review of selected protocols for use in the Clean Water Act Section 404 program. Let me pull, let me. I'll, I'll look it up here. Um, EPA section. Oh, yes. <laughs> you I'm got right. so excited. You got it. So um, <laughs> I have it All written right, down here. Okay, go ahead. So one day I'm going to be doing one on the Clean Water Act. Oh, great. Because it is I'm glad... so dry, but it is yeah. so important. I'm glad you're uh, tackling that because I didn't know where to start. I thought it'd be cool, but I'm, I, w I know I wouldn't be able to be as thorough. So Well, it's, yeah. I think it's likely like what you're doing right now, like take it based on little bits of it. But so mm -hmm. just so why I'm bringing this up is like, Matt said 404 mm -hmm. and there's these different sections within this clean water act uh, put into place ooh, in the seventies, I believe, but it's like this document that's so important to like water and what we do and each section um, 
it's broken up, but like each one is so important and has so much weight. So this is just one of the many sections within this water act that um, is useful for natural resource conservation and so on. Like, so there's section 103, which is like, like water standards, there's mm -hmm. oof, 109 or no 319, which is like non-point source pollution. And like each, so like, oh, that's great. It just talks a little bit about each thing. It's like, no, each section has like its own pot of money that like it's it, the, a lot of these documents and these acts, it's, it's written on paper, but then like on the back end, they got to figure out how to actually like interpret it how to put mm -hmm. it into play so like the epa who runs the clean water act that's their their whole job is like okay um you know we want every single state to have their own water quality standards it's like hip hip hooray but it's like yeah now we actually have to put money where the mouth is like how much does that cost to get into it mm -hmm. um how much does it cost to protect like non-point source pollution total maximum daily all this stuff so this is like one of the many different things sorry that's one of my my tangents uh no, dredge and fill the 404 stuff there's a lot into that one too i know it's a lot of it's related to um and i had a little bit of work with it it's like if, if you want to do a project or something like the u.s army corps of engineers kind of takes helps with the the dredge and fill um this 404 section because if there's a project you have to get a permit and they they have to figure out are you are is there going to be like removal or additions of soil going into the water and all this stuff or are they dredging out so are you removing some of the sediment it's, it's a whole thing mm -hmm. it's a nightmare it's just mm -hmm. ugh, you know <laughs> so um yeah it's kind of where the science meets the politics which is yeah. a very complicated nexus to kind of deal with but you know it's important that's, yeah science so. politics and actually doing the work that's where i yeah. like to be i'm nestled in there <laughs> yeah but like it's yeah it can be super difficult yeah um I don't remember what else I was going to write. Let me see. Uh, sampling. Yeah. The qualitative like sampling. That's going to be a fun job for people who are like wanting to get out there. You know, it's a lot of work. It can mm -hmm. be like your entryway into oh, yeah. um, getting in there. So I feel like are... a lot of those kind of temporary field technicians, they start off doing those qualitative assessments. You know, they'll send you out to, I mean, it depends on where, right. But I, I feel like I always saw some in like the Midwest Prairie area monitoring for like field grouse or uh, what is it oh, sage yeah. grouse and stuff yeah and you're so, just moving all around the midwest yeah. in a, like a three-month period just i don't know you're taking you're doing all kinds of stuff for them but yeah it's a great way to kind of at one you get to see if you like it and yep. if you don't that's just as valuable as if you do like it but it also it kind of gets you a foot in the door with the feds which is yeah a huge stepping stone so an example that i was going to bring like um when i was applying and they still do this so to assess stream and riverways in Minnesota, it's done by the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. So think of like the state EPA mm -hmm. counterpart. But they, yeah, they hire on interns, and a lot of the the riverways in the Minnesota they're assessed every ten years for mm -hmm. water quality, you know, mm -hmm. um, bioindicators, and they they go so you, lots of watersheds, right? So in Minnesota, so it's, it's mm -hmm. like oh, ten years that seems like quite a bit. And it is, but also when you're thinking about human power to get the work done, it's, I mean, they are busy as all else. Yeah. And like, um, I mean, you're thinking yeah. of the land of 10,000 lakes, you know, it, 10 years is probably like, 
just enough to get yeah. all that work done. Yeah. So right there too, that's not even mentioning lakes. This is just mm -hmm. rivers and yeah, streams. Exactly. So it's, it's just like, ugh. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, from those, those samplers, they get that data, they figure out, and then, I mean, it can be hugely important. So there's that qualitative stuff. And then, you know, some of the measurements though, that, that helps to see if the rivers are impaired. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can start out doing this lower stuff, but it does ripple to have, you know, huge, um, implications. So, mm -hmm. um, pretty fun. And then, yeah, yeah. that just so to follow through, I don't know if you want to go down this rabbit hole, but like, it's pretty interesting in like our field where some people get into it and be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be outside all day. Mm. Um, and it's like, <laughs> yes, you can. Mm -hmm. But really think about that. First off, that's that's a hard life, right? Mm -hmm. Like this sampling stuff, it's not easy. You know, you're oh no. On uh, the flip side, super fun. Yeah, super fun. That's the thing oh. is, it's in a lot of the stream stretches that you're evaluating. You know, there's no access points a lot of times, and yeah, the methodologies can be very tedious, right? You're taking transects across a river. You're making sure you're seeing how stable a stream bank is. You're checking the width. You're checking the depth. You're checking the yeah. velocity. It seems like very mundane stuff, but it's very important. Um, yeah. And usually within these state or federal organizations, you have this field office and there's separate kind of departments within that field office and someone's doing all the biological surveys, someone's doing the chemical, someone's doing the physical and, and, and so on. So it's, it's nice cause you can work with a bunch of different people, you know, it's very collaborative. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's very rare where you're going to get a science job where you're only working in the field. Yeah. Um, usually it's depends on the job but it can be like 60 40 lab work versus field work just because all the work in the lab is just as important as all the work in the field but yeah and then yeah. you know if you want to move up in your career now that there's a big old asterisk after that too so mm -hmm. it depends on what you want your career to look like so you yeah, can for sure there um so that's what i had okay now i'm connecting where i was trying to go with this there's a <laughs> in iowa like they had uh their their water sampler no no excuse me their they're macro invert samplers mm. and it was just this crew and it just happened to be dudes all guys mm -hmm. but older people and that's they they decided that their career was you know they loved being out in the water mm -hmm. and they it sounded like they didn't have i don't want to i mean family life is a whole separate thing but they they mm -hmm. i don't know either they were towards retirement their kids were out of the house oh, because some of this i mean they, it was how some states do this is like there's a crew and you go out and they're in hotels the whole summer right oh yeah and they would just go mm -hmm. from place to place and they're like yeah our, you know kids are retired or they didn't have kids they're out there mm -hmm. like you know they that's how they want their career to go mm -hmm. and that's you know so that yeah they're like they loved it and they like they absolutely wanted to be out in these gorgeous places um yeah. doing this work so that was cool on the flip side you know if you want your career so some of those jobs are not not they don't pay that well in mm -hmm. comparison to other places and then like if you want to move up in career quote unquote um yeah you're you'll slowly be getting staying in the office more and more so mm -hmm. just i think i don't think people describe that well to people coming into our field yeah you know on the flip side too like so i'm an office person now and mm -hmm. i have to to get people paid but like 
there's there's ways to do it so you can go to outreach events and then like mm -hmm. i'm still trying i'm still not doing the best of that but like, like i want to be outside or like going with my crew once a week somewhere mm -hmm. um so there's still ways you can still get out in the field but then yeah you're gonna have to spend the next couple of days catching up with all the stuff you missed in the office yeah, yeah. that's sorry yeah. for the bum people out but no it's cool hey man yeah. heavy is the head that wears the crown when you're in charge you know <laughs> yeah i mean i mean academia too right you have oh for sure uh, yeah i think yeah i think that's part of academia that kind of i don't want to say scares me but i can see where it's you know you get into science because you like your you you know, your boots on the ground, you're right there doing all the science. Yeah. But the more you move up, the less of that you're actually doing, which is, oh, it's a little discouraging almost, you know? So yeah, man, that's, I, yeah, been dealing with that too. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it finally clicked a couple of weeks ago that, so that for sure on its face, you are doing less of the science, but you mm -hmm. have to not have to, but it's just shift your thinking to like mm -hmm. team mentality right where it's like yeah oh for sure like like oh my i i need to figure out what i want your lab to do for example mm -hmm. and be like oh like it's it's just a measure of what we're getting done and what we're achieving because yeah i mean it is it's not well described though even in academia like that's mm -hmm. you have to shift your thinking to to that otherwise yeah like it could be really discouraging Mm -hmm. so and it's still yeah. i mean every now and then i'm like oh, i want to go out and sample today yeah uh, that's a good um, point yeah, yeah i mean you're still you're still responsible for the science and you know your students are an extension of you and your team is an extension of you and and whatnot but yeah, yeah. plus two like so if you do go academia or anybody else mm -hmm. like and even in here like I'm, I'm really putting forward this next round of funding for some of our stuff like like i what's your skill set like, what mm -hmm. can you do that others can't? And then like, I mean, put into play a passion project. So I want to, yeah. I want to do like a research passion, quote unquote, passion project that might involve me working above and beyond my duties. But it's mm -hmm. like, I, it's like, dude, I can, I can look at data. Like we don't need to hire anybody. <laughs> like I got that. So, um, and then, yeah, if you're, so there's still ways around, you just have to get creative. Right. And yeah, then, that's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but it's like any job. Don't get discouraged, buddy. Yeah. Just like I said, no, dis I discourage, discourage isn't the right word. I don't like. I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is, but it's. I would say that's like almost like realize, right? Or like, yeah, you come to the realization it. that that's. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just it's just kind of part of the natural progression in a lot of fields where it's the you start off blowing the totem pole, you're doing all the work, then the more you work up that ladder. Not it's not that the less work you're doing, it's like maybe the less hands-on work you're doing. You know? And then like. There's layers to that because I do use like moving up the ladder really. Um, I didn't think we were going to talk about this. This is fun. We're good. Yeah, this we're way off quite the rails. The tangent, I like it. Like, uh, I like it. Um, I use the term like moving up the ladder really sparingly because mm -hmm. I know even at the USGS, there was a couple researchers and it's the same thing too. You get up, you, you get a bigger crew, you got the management, but there's a couple individuals that yeah, I think they had like one person under them or two people hmm. and they could have went up higher. They're like, no, I like the work more than I like the management. And they're like, yeah, this is it. And then they kind of progressed their career like that. They're like, they understood that that's not what they wanted their like life to look like. And I was like, there's, there's something powerful in that too, mm -hmm. where it's like, like I got into the field to 
do the work and I'm good mm -hmm. at doing it. Like I'm, I'm the only person who can do this. So I'm going to stop my, see again, stop your career. Be like, no, my career, I want my career to go like this. Yeah. And it's not going to, and I was like, there's, there's for sure merit to that. Absolutely. Right. Isn't that interesting? So yeah, I, yeah. Now that you mention it, I think that's something, I mean, I think it's definitely powerful is knowing where you want to be. I know. I yeah, I think that's something. I don't know. I'll admit that's probably something I'm. I'll probably struggle with. I do too. No, it's because so, it, it I, I just is. feel like it's beat into your head. You always want to be moving up, 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 up. And if you're not moving up, then you're not. Yeah. Then you're not progressing. It's a weird. And academia yeah. is, in my opinion, the fruit and worst. Because yeah, mm -hmm. again, everybody's giving each other awards for them. So, you know, pat yourself <laughs> on the back. If if you're getting an award from the university you look at, work at, like, come on, guys, like. No. Everybody's don't, just don't mind me sitting on a Auburn presidential fellowship. It's fine. I mean, that's different, but it's more like, <laughs> like, a, I don't know. Like no, a, I'm, just, I'm just messing a peer to peer award within your yeah. own organ. I don't know. It just make it's like, I mean, every... it's, it's still meaningful. I mean, I think like from your peers, it's definitely meaningful. You know, if you've worked for, if you worked in the field for like 30 years and your peers are like, Hey, you've done something, you know, I, I think I, that's I, something. I'm not articulating this well. I, I agree, but it, it's, I get, I get what you're saying. Awards where it's like, I get uh, what you're saying in that it's still like academia to itself rather than like, Oh, I don't know. How about this? this? Is... Actually, I know, I know what I'm saying now. I, this is, I, this is how I need to articulate when it's a, you're applying for award, a self-nomination award within oh, your own university or something like that. Okay. And I'm like, yes. that's weird. Yes. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I see what and you're saying. Academia does that a lot where they don't right. necessarily like say that. I'm like, oh, this this person got the, the the blah blah blah, you know, award for yep. this. And it's like, it's that's self-applied. Right. Yeah. I don't you're right. so that, that makes me feel weird, you know. You're right. Um, that's fair. Because you're not it's not like you're being here, yeah. it's not like you're being picked out because you were noticed and doing a good job it's because you were the best of people that nominated themselves so i i i get what you're saying one thing in like uh academia is like um can you so tell rally is not in academia by the way it's just really <laughs> grinding I, so that's the thing i was like i was thinking of there's like it'd be fun to go do academia but kind of not right there's there's mm -hmm. it's just pros and cons and i literally had sure. to sit down with myself and i was like this is not how I want my career to go better for worse. Mm -hmm. Some people might think that's dumb, you know? Um, but I was like, yeah, I did. anyways, one thing though, like some of the academics where people kind of like joke, not joke, but it's again, it's like that career thing where like, where you should be going to do this with your career because of this. But like, you know, some of those people where they sit in a postdoc for like 15 years, I was like, there might yeah. be something powerful there where they understand that like, that's the last step to be doing like all day type of research. And, that's the thing is you're, yeah. you're doing like, you're still in a management structure where you're not at the bottom of the totem pole. You're pretty much doing whatever you want. You don't have yeah. an obligation to teach. You don't have an obligation to get your own funding, but you can get your own funding. Like it, you're kind of at a pretty decent spot as yeah. the only problem is that funding is temporary, very temporary. Yeah. I know. Unless you're in the perfect situation where you just know that this lab or this university has a hookup with this government organization. You're like, as long as we exist, we're going to be pumping money through you guys. So I know, but I mean, I definitely see the appeal of being, of sitting in that position. Heck yeah, you know? dude. I wouldn't knock be anybody. So fun. Absolutely. Well, so 
I applied for one of these, like a position where you're not necessarily a postdoc, but the, the university has a resource center, for example, mm -hmm. like a water resource center. And you're the, you're the day-to-day -day for like the water resource center or like the oh. director where you're not teaching, but you're managing the resource center. I was like, that would hmm. be solid. Like that would be a fun job where, yeah. so I didn't go into academia. Huh. I like teaching and sharing information, but it, in my opinion, gosh, this is gonna be weird, but like it, to balance research and teaching, you just, it's hard to do both and excel at both. Mm -hmm. And usually no, a professor, they, they, they have their, their canned lectures. They've been doing it for the last 10 years barely mm -hmm. make any updates or it's like, oh, your, your teaching is lacking because you're, mm -hmm. you went into it for research, not for teaching, yeah. but you still have to do the teaching to get paid. And yeah, yeah, it's just a weird thing. I mean, I've said this to plenty of people, so I'm not afraid to say it here over podcast where it's big, big universities with several exceptions, of course, they value a good researcher over a good teacher. So yeah. if I were to give anyone advice as to where they should go for undergrad is to go to a smaller teaching school. And then if you want to go to grad school, go to a big school, because at a smaller teaching school, you're getting people who are hired because they're good teachers. And then you yeah. still get the benefits of if you want to do research, you can apply for NSF funded, like a research experience for undergraduates an RU program where they target students from these smaller schools that don't have research opportunities so you can still get research it's kind of like any situation it's you get in what you you get out what you put in kind of thing yeah so, so that's my the... thing so and that's why i would want to go into academia is because of the teaching is because i like i like mentoring i like teaching students i like teaching future scientists so yeah so uh i guess the through line is many different pathways wow what a yeah what a somehow tangy. yeah somehow we got onto that from qualitative based <laughs> assessment practices <laughs> i think the through line was like yeah there's a couple of people that i've been interacted with and yeah they they seem to be having the time of their lives they're out oh, there for sure. they're sampling and like if that's what you want your career to look like more power to you i think Absolutely. it's great don't let anybody yeah. shoot you I'm, down because it looks I'm, wildly I'm, fun I'm way past the point in my life where, you know, growing up, and I think there's like a renaissance of this now, where it's like growing up, you're like, you don't want to be that. That's not a glamorous job. Where now you're just like, if you're happy, who really cares yeah, what you're doing? Like, yeah, I think, you know, our generation before us is really big on that. And now it's kind of, yeah, where it's like, dissolving. you have to go to school. You don't oh, want to yeah. be a plumber. Where it's like, why? Like, my I've seen some like $300 an hour. Jeez. I've seen so many students and this breaks my heart where they go to school and you can tell they're not a good student and you just sit down and talk with them for a cup for like an hour. And I'm just like, why are you here, man? Like, what do you want to do? And it's like, my parents are paying for me to go here. And you're like that. You're just oh, wasting yeah. your money, man. If you like, don't know what you want to do. Like I would, I would figure that out on the front end. Yeah. Or like when people graduate and they're like, I still don't know what I want to do. I was like, that's, yeah. that's, that's concerning. It's not good. Yeah. yeah. So. I get it. Well, I don't get it. Cause I knew what I wanted to do or like mm -hmm. what I want to go to school for. And like the field, like when I was in high school, you know oh, what I'm saying? Okay. right. Some people yeah. don't have that. Where I was I'm like, say, I was... for me, it was, I thought I knew what I wanted to do. And it took me until my junior year of undergrad to really be like, this is actually what I want to do. But then yeah. once I figured that out, I was able to kind of hone in on that. 
and I had a nuance where it was like, I knew what it, the field, but then like, even, you know, and I, I like a lot of different things. Yeah. So like, it's like, I, I don't want to be pigeonholed, even though I got a doctorate. Like I, I do <laughs> like being pigeonholed. I like going down the rabbit hole, but like, I, I do, I don't, I don't know. Right. I don't know yeah. where I'm going with this, where it's like, I, I like being narrow, but also staying mm -hmm. broad, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's good to get a job too. Cause for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm, I think, you know, just my experience being in college and being around the system for so long, I don't know. I'm not going to be the parent that says you have to go to college. I'm going to say there's money. There will be money if you want to go to college, but you need to be doing something. If you're not in college, you need to have some sort of job, whether it's a trade, you know, if you want to be a welder, you want to be a mechanic, you want to be a plumber. Yeah. I don't care. As long as you're oh, happy sure. and you're making a living, I don't really care what you're doing. I think with my noodle, it's going to be, uh, that's coming up. I, ca I call babies noodles, little baby noodle. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be like, like I will help you out for sure. And it's like mm -hmm. you don't have to go to college. You have to, you have to go to a, like two years at least after high school. I think. Yeah, like an associates get, or something. Yeah, be like, like that. Education doesn't end with high school. First off, yeah. like there's also you can learn by yourself. But I was like, yeah, I, I do feel strongly about needing to get, at least a technical. Not I right there, right? Like yeah. at least don't. I don't <laughs> yeah. even want to say that. Like. Yeah, I think it, getting a technical degree is a great thing, and I think that yeah. is for sure needed mm -hmm. past high school. So there, I think you at least need how about that? You need some form of education mm -hmm. past high school. Being done after high school, I think that's mm -hmm. that would be a tough tough thing. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, yeah, because yeah. even even if you're going into a trade, you're going to have some sort of technical schooling. You know? Yeah. Like my, da oh, my yeah, dad, for sure. my dad's more or less an, an electrician. Yeah. He still had to go to like technical, technical college. So, oh yeah. yeah like I think know, so. just to say you're going to end after high school though, that's, that's where I'd be like, dad, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're still going to need to get some, I mean, I mean unless you're you want to be up, a coder, right? Go get, go to yeah. coding school. Quote unquote, I mean, if you're set school. up with like an apprenticeship somewhere, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how all this works, but if you're somewhere where yeah, you don't need a high school degree and you're think you got your life figured out. That's fine. Jesus, but... look at us go. Yeah, look at us. Sound like we know something. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Fake it uh, till you make it, right? Um, but all right, let's go ahead and try to bring this back <laughs> on the rails here. Um, oh my god. Good luck editing this. I know. So <laughs> let's let's find a way to get back to the topic at hand. So let's talk about quantitative based approaches. Look at that transition. Smooth. Boom. So <laughs> While they, in theory, should provide a much clearer picture as to what's happening in a particular river or stream, uh, the truth is that it really depends on kind of what you're measuring, right? So according to the joint US EPA and Army Corps of Engineers report, the accuracy and precision of common measurement-based parameters like bank full width and substrate embeddedness has been proven to be variable by several different research teams. That being said, there are obviously situations where analytical-based approaches show their worth, 
One such area is biological indices. These indices compile several measurements into one easy to interpret number. One example in our field of limnology is the trophic level index, where phytoplankton abundance, total nitrogen, and total phosphorus are fed into an equation that lets us know if a lake is unproductive or oligotrophic to super impaired and full of algae or you know hyper eutrophic. A Another common example for stream assessments is the EPT taxa index. Um, is that something you're familiar with, Riley? Is there anything you can tell us about EPT taxa? Okay. So that, yeah, the, the indices thing is, is interesting. Um, I've, I've worked for a tribe and I'm um, doing some like extra stuff too. Still helping mm -hmm. about that. This is the topic that we're doing right now. Um, and it's interesting is that like there's still debate as to what the best indice is. Oh, 100%. Right? I like, yeah. So I'm going to cover that not in depth. Yeah. But if you look at uh, this 404, and I I took a lot from the state of Pennsylvania's stream yeah. assessment thing, they, when they do assessments, they don't just do EPT, they do Shannon Index, yes. Shannon Diversity. They do all, yeah. they do a bunch of diversity indices. And so that, again, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Here. So that's going to, no, that go was my point, right? That was my point is that uh, like what we've come about was like, yeah, we're going to do more than one index mm -hmm. and then you share your data. So if anything in the past, like if you, beginning with the end in mind is really huge, even with the EPA too, because it's like, oh, stuff is changing. One of them was like, it's, that's another point I want to bring up with like the indexing is so confusing because one index that might work it Minnesota, it there's the Southern part of the state is like agricultural farmland plains, whereas mm -hmm. the Northern part of the state is, um, like, like wildernessy hardwood, you know, forested. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even within a single, so they have bioregions too. Yep. And like each, each, um, bioregion might have a better preference for, you know, this index was based on, you know, without a little sediment that they, they get into the hole. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of weeds there. So. Oh, absolutely. More than one index is great. Sharing mm -hmm. that data is huge. Um, and then, yeah, there's still, there's probably never going to be a hard and fast. Like absolutely index. not. Isn't that I interesting? Think, yeah. I don't think, well, one, I don't think it's possible, but two, I don't think there should be. I think there's a lot of power in kind of multiple redundancies. Yeah. where if you have several different things that are all pointing to the same answer, I think that gives me a lot more confidence than one single number being like, all right, that tells me I'm good. Yeah. So but no yeah, silver I think, bullet to anything. Absolutely not. Uh, but this is great. We're kind of touching on a little, a little bit of everything that we're going to be talking about here. So this is great. So the EPT taxa index refers to taxonomic orders of mayflies, stoneflies, and caddisflies, which are ephemeroptera, plecoptera, and trichoptera, hence EPT. Uh, the reason that these three groups of insects are used to monitor stream health is because their aquatic larvae are incredibly sensitive to environmental pollutants, as well as changes in water temperature and pH. Furthermore, they aren't really able to move far very quickly, so they're a great indicator of both short and long-term impacts. This index is quite intuitive, as the more EPT organisms you find in a particular stretch of stream, the healthier the stream is. Pretty straightforward there. Now, whenever I've sampled for EPT taxa, it has been through kick netting of stream riffles. I'm sure different people have different 
applications for how to collect DPT taxa. Uh, but I'll just kind of describe how this went when I did it. And it involves a team of two to four people with one or two people holding a seine downstream and the rest of the team quickly kicking and dragging their feet through the substrate as they move towards the people with the net, with the idea being that any bugs or critters that are clinging to rocks in the stream will be kicked up and caught up in the current, and then they'll be caught in the net. Uh, it's important to know that there aren't necessarily clean cutoff values for bad, okay, good, or great EPT index numbers that can be applied to every system as the diversity of EPT taxa varies widely from region to region, kind of as Riley was just hinting at there. But just for reference, in the southern Piedmont region of North Carolina, North Carolina DNR rates an index score greater than 27 as excellent, between 21 to 27 as good, between 12 to 20 as good fair, between 7 to 13 as fair, and less than 7 as poor. Again, those numbers can be drastically different, even if you just go a couple states over, right? So that's in North Carolina. If you come down here to Georgia, where I'm at, it could be vastly different, those numbers. So it's all in reference to your eco region for sure. Dude, side note, um, <laughs> you know, I told you I'd do the con contracting for the tribe. Yeah. I'm the current project I'm doing for them is updating their biomonitoring co-op. So this, mm -hmm. is, this is all I'm doing right now. <laughs> Oh, with yeah. them. It's trying, what index to use how are they going to do it how do they implement it that, that's yeah. good though isn't that hilarious yeah. um yeah another thing i was going to bring up so with mm -hmm. like it's pretty interesting like um like capacity of some organizations to to do this work is a huge thing too so in my experience running into it um it's really some of those indexes require you to get down to like genus and species mm -hmm. and if you have a you know, a crew doing 45 different things. This is what we ran into. It's like, ugh, it's... So writing down, we're going to use this index. Like part of my job was trying to like quantify how many man hours does it take? Because it's like, oh, it's it's great. You want to put down 10 indexes, but either we have to yeah. train someone or that's going to take a huge time. And I remember like going with like to the Alabama Department of Environmental Quality. We did a tour and they... Mm -hmm. They had a group crew of people that one crew collected and then through the whole year, the other crew was like counting. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, it's, it's fun to write some of these indexes in, but like really figuring out like the cost is huge. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, we're going to try to put some of that in perspective here a little bit. Yeah. Um, Sorry if I'm but, taking oh no, your you're, thunder. No, you're fine. But you're cool. I, lost my whole, I was going to add something there, but I lost my whole train of thought. So it's fine. It, I'm sure it'll come back to me. But um, I should also mention that EPT taxa index, it's pretty quick and dirty way to assess uh, stream and river health and is best used in combination with other assessment methods, as Riley was hinting at there a little bit here. If we really want to, want to get into the weeds, we can break down measurement-based assessment methods even further into biological, chemical, and physical assessment methods, not to mention that further assessments can be done with uh, with the stream if it's deemed impaired to uncover the source of the pollution. Now to go over each of these kind of really briefly for the biological assessments, they can be made on invertebrates, fish, plants, as well as depending on the uh, goals of the assessment. 
in addition to EPT taxa, there are all sorts of other indices that try to explain how much or how little diversity there is in, in a particular area. At the end of the day, that's really what a biological assessment is trying to do, is understand how diverse a particular stretch is and whether or not it's changed significantly since the last time it was assessed. There can be some more nuance within biological assessments as certain taxa have a pollution tolerance score, which can be a clue as to how impaired a system is. So if you're just going by the numbers, again, this is how important it is to kind of really explore your data when you get it. So if you're just going by the numbers, perhaps the total number of species within a stream has hardly changed over the past couple of decades, but the identities of who those organisms are, not all of them, of course, can change substantially depending on what's happening around the stream. So you could have a change in species composition making numbers up from like 100 to 90 over a 20 year period. But if 50% of that was a change from resident to exotic species or species that are maybe more what we call cosmopolitan because they are more hardy towards uh, uh, pollutants, that's, that's something that's very concerning, right? So it's, it's why it's mm -hmm. important to incorporate all different types of indices as, as Riley was mentioning earlier. But Lastly, here is for the biological stuff in terms of putting it in a public health perspective, um, certain bacteria can really be important, particularly in rivers for recreation and water sports. Riley mentioned this a little bit earlier. Most, if not all states have some sort of routine monitoring set up for E. coli. Again, how often they do it or how they report it can vary widely from state to state as we kind of went off and talked about that a little bit here in Alabama or over in Alabama the state maybe does it, but not as routinely as, as some of the nonprofits in the area. So taking several subsamples and letting the bacteria grow on a certain Petri dish that only E. coli can grow on, um, is typically how you um, are able to get an estimate for E. coli in the area. After a few days, the colonies are counted and that mean value is used to determine the risk of E. coli. The EPA's recommendation criteria for E. coli is any water body with greater than 100 calorie, calories. Calories. <laughs> uh, the EPA's recommendation criteria for E. coli is any water body with greater than 100 colonies per 100 milliliters pipetted onto that Petri dish should have restricted access or posted rec recommendation against swimming. If you're ever worried about E. coli when swimming in fresh water, keeping your head out of the water is the best way to avoid infection aside from obviously not getting in. So that's typically, I hate getting water in my ears anyway. So I typically keep my head out of the water anyway. That's just me. So again, you can really get in the weeds with each assessment method. I'm just trying to kind of cover the basics here and we can go off the rails like we've been doing already. So this is great. We're getting a lot more out of this than I really expected. So this is awesome. Um, but as far as chemical assessments go, it's all taking place in the lab, aside from getting the actual water sample. The main nuance and the key with chemical sampling is how often are the samples being collected and whether or not the contaminant is an acute or chronic pollution concern. For example, some contaminants are only of concern when they exceed their thresholds consistently over the course of a four-day sampling period, while others are an instantaneous concern that needs to be acted on the second they reach their threshold. This puts a lot of emphasis on how, when, how often, and for how long the samples are collected in addition to where in the stream or watershed. 
Uh, these different pollutants of concern include heavy metals like cadmium, chromium, copper, lead, arsenic, and selenium, in addition to other chemicals like uh, diazinon, cyanide, toluene, PFAS, and a host more. Now, if we're talking about a comprehensive assessment of a stretch of river or stream, once all of the assessments I mentioned earlier have been completed, this is the general workflow for coming to a decision about the health of a river or stream, at least according to the state of Pennsylvania's workflow. So I'm sure it varies slightly, but this is generally the approach everyone takes. So this is a 10-step process. So hang with me here. So step one is to describe the monitoring effort. This is essentially asking what is everything we know about the water body outside of the original assessment that was just done? What does the watershed look like? Is there any history of impairment, et cetera? Step two is to check your data quality. This refers to what I was talking about with the chemical assessment, especially were enough samples collected? Were they collected at the correct spots? Did we sample for long enough to determine if a chronic threat exists? This is all in addition to double checking that the data in the Excel sheet matches the data sheets from the field or computer readouts, of course. Step three is gathering information on sources of variation. Uh, this step refers to things that can explain patterns in the data that may not make sense until you consider what is unique about the system. Uh, for example, why are about half of the temperature values four degrees warmer? Well, that stretch of the stream may have been clear cut last year, so there's no shade, you know, th things like that. So you just, again, have to kind of consider your whole system. Step four is explore the data, as we mentioned a little bit earlier. This isn't anything new for researchers, but it just reminds us to visualize all the data in different ways, which may help us identify a pattern we may have otherwise missed if you're just kind of trying to go by the book. If you go into, usually I found that if you go into kind of exploring your data and looking at your data a certain way and only that certain way, you're going to miss patterns. So it's always good to, even if say your goal for the project is just trying to look at, I don't know, the number of mayflies in, in the area, and you're only looking at your mayfly numbers without say looking at temperature, pH, you're going to miss some stuff that could explain the patterns in your data. So always explore all the data. Um, one thing that my advisors always taught me is it's always easier to not use data that you've collected than to go back and try to collect data that you realized you need, right? So always collect more data than you think you're going to need, whether that's parameters or just actual sample size. Uh, step, step five is to evaluate the representativeness of the data. Uh, this can kind of be lumped into checking data quality, uh, if you ask me, as you're just trying to make sure that any decisions you make are appropriate, given the data you've collected. Step six, we're getting there, is to describe the relevant standards. On uh, this step, you're checking all your relevant measurements with federal or state advisory standards uh, to see if any have been exceeded. Seven is to analyze the data st statistically. So it's one way to say, uh, one thing to say that there looks like there's a difference, but stats helps us ensure that it's mathematically different. Uh, eight is to check the results with other relevant sources. So how did the data compare to previous assessments or assessments done on nearby rivers or streams? Nine is to evaluate the lines of evidence. This is bringing us to the point of writing up the actual report and addressing relevant policies that come into effect to enforce any needed remediation. And 10 is to actually make a decision on whether or not this is an impaired system. So I hope this gives everyone an idea as to why these processes may take so long. For one, science in general can be slow because researchers need to take a careful approach, but also because 
when you and your colleagues have to sample for insects, take transects of the stream bank, take sediment samples, evaluate the fish and plants in the area, then take water back to the lab to measure for all other types of metal uh, elements and chemicals. Not to mention, you may need to do this several times in just one area. It takes time to bring all that together. And like I said, I'm sure I missed some important or fascinating parts of stream assessments. So if anyone out there is a true expert, please don't be afraid to reach out to us via email. It's fwperspectivespodcast at gmail.com. And um, that's that's all I had, Riley. Is there anything else we uh, we missed here today? Yeah, this is a fun one. Um, this is what I did for the two tribes I worked for. Mm-hmm. I was their, their water person. So um, figuring out all this was actually really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really fun. Super difficult. Um, yeah. One thing, just like on like a, how to actually do these programs that mm-hmm. I don't know, it, some people might not realize this. Yeah. Like, um, you know, for one of the tribes I worked at, there was, we collected a lot of stuff, but like in our plans, we, we got to the point where we were like, do we need a sample for this? Like what? So mm-hmm. it's remember. So beginning with the end of mind, like you said, is huge. I always say that. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. Like collecting the data. That's great. Um, but yeah, assessing your workload and your, your crew. And then, you know, it's, there's no shame into saying this isn't actually telling us anything that like index number two is telling us mm-hmm. and it's taking and costing us, you know, it's taking however many human hours and $10,000. I think that we're going to let this one go. Um, that could be huge. Um, yeah. And that, then that work that you're doing there where, yeah, you're, you're really at that point where that science meets a policy and actually yeah. implementing it. That's the point where I feel like scientists, we like to overpromise a lot and we're like, oh, we can definitely, we can implement yeah. this approach and this approach, and then we can put this into a model and it'll give us this picture. And then we can really have an idea of what the system looks like. We can yeah. predict this and you're like, okay, well, that's going to cost us $200,000 in about 10 years worth of work. Keep so, it simple. Yeah. <laughs> and then like um, two with those plans. So some of the stuff is in like statute where like you need to measure this and this is mm-hmm. like this absolutely has to be done. But yeah, there's some other stuff and we're actually dealing with that in my current position where people got together and it was like, you know, you figure out this plan. It's a wonderful plan. These people, it's difficult. It was like a, a new initiative that the state was doing and uh, we figured out this plan. It's great. And now we're a couple years down the line. We're assessing how well we're doing with the plan. I think we're doing amazing, but like mm-hmm. there's some stuff where it's like, oh, we're actually not hitting our metrics here. Hmm. And one of the beans we were talking about, we brought it up. It's like, well, well, what is that metric? Like, it was like, we need to do X amount of projects by this amount of time. And we're like, well, the creators of this plan didn't know what was obtainable. So, like, oh. so it's like, I don't think we need to chastise ourselves. Someone else brought this up because it's like, mm-hmm. they, they didn't know what the number is. So I think two with these plans and even index, so index can change. And then like knowing that it's like emphasizing it's a living document is huge too, mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah, it's going to change. It's fine. We're doing the best we can. Yeah. Um, that's a really and, good point. Right. And and so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. There's that nuance where I don't think some people think about where it's like, yeah, that 
so there's a catch 22 with that like always changing your plan that's a red flag yes but sure. knowing knowing or like changing the goalposts is that's bad mm-hmm. but like knowing that like oh yeah they like why is the goalpost even there and like is it in the right spot is huge so it's like yeah we're, <laughs> we might tone down on this one because we're doing a b and c and that's giving us the other information um yeah man implementation mm-hmm. it's hard yeah, I'm uh yeah, I mean I love talking about this. I I'll admit when I was writing this, I wasn't as excited as some other podcasts I've done because I wasn't sure. I was like it just seems too dry, but I'm Dude. glad we I'm glad we covered as much as we did. So that was But it is great. that's that's a good point too that it's dry, but it's also needed. Absolutely. I right? mean it's, it's just so I mean, needed. Just look at everything we talked about. I know. Just when I brought up qualitative sampling <laughs> and just how far reaching that goes right oh my god yeah so. and do you think every i mean this is an, an initiative that every state is doing and like well you think about like epa says this needs to get done mm-hmm. or another it could be don't necessarily but then it's like we're gonna we're, then they produce a portion of money for example mm-hmm. and then it's like now the state needs to figure it out. Now the state needs to figure out where the local counterpart needs to go. The local counterpart needs to figure out the staffing to figure out how to get mm-hmm. actually in the stream or like if it's landowner access, how do you get this? So mm-hmm. it's it's like a chain of command where, I mean, that's government, right? So it's like a dead on the top and it needs to get thought out really, really hard. Otherwise, yeah, it can be just a nightmare. Like the, it's like a train, right? It's like, ugh. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. But- all right. Anything Unsies. else you, you needed to add there? I think, I think we think rambled it. a good amount. All right. All right, man. Awesome. So that's uh, that's all I got for this week. I will see you next time, man. Take it easy. See Ryan. ya. Bye.